And welcome back to the Toffee Blues podcast with myself and Ellis Nordhoff. It's been another disappointing week to be an Everton fan. I mean, last week when we spoke, Ellis, it, it, it was disappointing, but we, we were vaguely positive. We were kind of looking forward to the season. We, we played really well at home to Fulham. Uh, we've now got on the road. You've got on the road to, to Villa Park. And I mean, just in case anyone hadn't heard, Ellis, t- tell us how it was. Well, I don't think I'm telling anyone anything new when I say that it wasn't great, to be honest. The... Uh... Train down to Birmingham and back, all for that. Just wasn't brilliant, was it? It was one of those days that we want to forget as soon as possible and move on. And hopefully, we can start that on Saturday. Yeah, no, I mean, it feels like deja vu every time we go away from home. I can't remember exactly what the record is. It's very bad. It's the last forty games, what five or six wins or something. I can't quite remember it now off the top of my head. But, but I mean, it it didn't feel that bad to start off with in the opening few minutes it felt like okay this is going to happen we knew they were going to come at us obviously they just got battered uh, against Newcastle the week before they were going to want to put it right in, in front of their fans I was hoping last week on the pod that maybe that would increase the pressure on them a bit maybe that would you know they'd be feeling that didn't really seem like that though did it it yeah, seemed fairly apparent that they used all that momentum that, that they got off the back of Newcastle and well blown us away 18th minute John McGinn just converts inside the box and Shock horror! It's a terrible defending. Yes, I as I said, I was there, and the optimism was soon sucked out of our <laughs> fan base. There was a a bit at the start we were singing "Forever Everton," and we actually sang it in full for once, which is a quite a rarity, actually. Well, the full was, rendition. Yeah, there was an element of positivity, and then it seems like we were like growing into the game all right in the first ten minutes. We were stable, and we were using the ball okay, not creating anything, of course, and then. When the first goal goes in, you're massively up against it then against a team we know are good, but I don't really feel like they have to play that well to beat us. Yeah, no, they they didn't really, especially if you give two relatively easy goals away so early. I mean, how often do teams go back from 2-0 down, full stop, never mind away from home? So you immediately put yourself into it. I mean, we could we could dissect the defending for the first goal. I don't really think that there is much point. Uh, kind of we all we all know what to expect now, and uh, Michael Keane just looked stationary. I don't want to go in on Michael Keane too hard, but he is the cause of. I mean, so many of the issues. We may as well skip. I mean, to the last goal, John Duran comes on. He's probably thinking, "I'm probably just going to run out the clock here. I've been brought on as a really late substitute. Not much is going to happen. We're three 0 down. I'll, I'll come on for twenty minutes. I'll have a run around, but." It's Michael Keane. What can we put down to two of the goals in the game? Uh, 3 0, yeah. As you say, the young lad comes on. We've given him the dream debut, haven't we, really? And wouldn't pin all that on Michael Keane. I think the throw in from Ashley Young is a sight to behold, to be honest. I could not mm. believe that our most experienced player was doing that. Of course, mistakes happen in games, but I just don't understand why that was thrown backwards in, in any aspect of the game. You You tend to think positively and try and throw it forwards, or at least throw it to a man that's closer, whereas he took the hardest route, tried to throw the ball 30 yards and inevitably ended up in the back of our net, which it did quite a few times that afternoon. Yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? Because, as you said, mistakes do happen. You can't get angry about mistakes happening. But every time one mistake happens, it's just a domino effect, especially in a defence. I mean, it was very felt like a very Frank Lampard performance, which is really annoying because we saw... Dice, start to iron that out. Start like you know, if one player makes a mistake, you keep your composure and you clear your lines. But it's it's the knockout effect, isn't it? Really, isn't it? If you see thirty-eight year old Ashley Young 
making a mistake like that and then Michael Keane does that, it, it has an effect on the rest of the team and the rest of the team can't be particularly confident going forwards if they don't have the, the confidence in the back line and I mean, if we want to briefly mention the penalty, I mean, Pickford, that was just erratic. We've seen it a few times from him. Like, we we, we can't even deny that. He, he becomes out really rashly. I get he's trying to do anything to get towards the ball, but he rarely thinks about what's around him. And even if the penalty is a bit soft, maybe to some people, once you've given the officials a decision to make, we're Everton at the end of the day, we're not Manchester United. They're, I think nine times out of 10, they're, they're always going to give that as a penalty. Yeah, it was a penalty. There's no real arguing about it, was there? And, yeah, he probably shouldn't have gone for him like he did. And, you know, that happened, but it wasn't the worst of the goals, was it? The one straight after from the Luca Dean throwing, the way that ended up in our box from one throwing directly slices through our defence, that that was just so gutting to see. And at that point, I think, you know, like you say, that errors can be, a, they can just compile and, and just make you feel it's so much worse about the match. Once, once there's a couple of errors, then more just seem to flood in and, that's what happened, wasn't it, really? It was a comedy of errors in the end, and it wasn't good to see, but it was so uncharacteristic of a Sean Dyche away performance that we've actually had since he came in. You know, off the back of the end of last season, we'd only lost one in our last seven away games. So to see that again, it reminded me of yeah previous games under Frank Lampard where the team just isn't organised, there didn't seem to be much of a plan, and I'm really hoping that we can just write that one down as a complete blip because they didn't set up like they have done under Dice so far. It was such a an anomaly for the way that they've been at the end of last season by staying in games and being solid. Yeah, it's it, it's just so frustrating to see when because we we just see it time and time again with the kind of just the the constant mistakes. Because you think you look at that back line, we know that Nathan Patterson's an experience, and I'm sure we'll get onto him that we know Michael Keane has mistakes in it. But when you look at Ashley Young and you look at Tarkovsky, you don't really see. Yeah, you don't really expect those kind of mistakes. And Pickford, I mean, as he's as he's got older, he's definitely ironed them out of his game as well. But for some reason, it's just it, it, we weren't a cohesive team unit. We weren't much of a cohesive unit at all, really. I mean, people slamming Onana kind of specifically. It's just it, you, you can't really pin it on one player. I know I tried to pin it on Michael Keane right at the start, but it's you, you, you literally can't pin it on one player because it, as a unit, we were just we were just completely wrong and. As as we all know, when it rains, it pours, and when Calvert Lewin goes clattering into to Emmy Martinez, he's he's had a long spell out. He wants to go for every ball. He wants to look determined. Goes clattering into him. He tries to stay on. It seems that he didn't have a concussion. We didn't use the concussion substitute, and then uh, after the game, the, the manager confirmed it. But gets before the fortieth minute mark, we're two 0 down, and uh, and then Dan Juma has to come on for for Calvert Lewin. Yeah, it's just gutting, isn't it? That, at that point, when that happens as well, you just don't think it's going to be your day. And I agree with you what you said about not just blaming Onana for the troubles in midfield because the midfield was empty at a lot of points at that during that game. It felt like there were people didn't really know the positions in that midfield and it was wide open. But when the Calvert-Lewin injury happened, that really does just suck all the belief that you have out of you. And for Dominic, like, I'd be absolutely devastated for him because we've seen what his dad's put as well. And he seems to have said that it's the first time that he felt truly fully fit. And to have an injury that was completely unrelated and just pure bad luck, which was actually came from the fact that he was being brave and going for a ball that maybe not everyone would have gone for. And for him to be out now, you know, there's going to be a minimum of probably a week because he now has to undergo the concussion protocol. Even though he didn't have a concussion, head injuries, you have to have follow some sort of program for a week. He's then probably got to have a specialist mask made for him. So you're probably looking at at least three weeks, probably three games, aren't you now? And 
he's such a big miss, but I just feel sorry for the lad because I know that this time he he definitely was like more ready than he has been ever before. They had a whole program for him, didn't they? He went to Munich, he come back, and to have this dagger in his heart again, he must be absolutely gutted, mustn't he? Yeah, and I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous uh, any fan criticising for that. I mean, the bloke's never asked to be injured. I get he's been out no. injured for a long time. No player ever goes out there wanting to get injured. And the, the same was towards Onan and some of the abuse towards him was, towards him was disgraceful. And, and Connor did a fantastic video on it on the channel that you should, you should definitely check out. I mean, he really goes into how, how ridiculous it is that our own fan base just keep turning on players like this when it's just not their fault. I mean, Onana was part of a completely dysfunctional side that, nobody really looked like they knew what they were doing. And Carver Lewin's it's a it's a freak injury really. I mean you could see it on his face when he was going off the pitch. I mean the the, the blow couldn't continue. Yeah the fact that he even carried on for a few minutes just to try, you know, that shows and he's quite clearly a player who wants to play for the football club. He's been here for a long time now and you can tell he loves playing for Everton. So any criticism is so unwarranted and I completely echo your thoughts on Onana. It's a disgrace what anyone said about him there. I can't believe that. And it's a shame that those people are part of our fan base. I'd like to say that they're not part of our fan base and I don't agree with anything, but Connor made a fantastic video and you really should check that out, shouldn't they? Because that kind of tells us everything we need to know about what we need to start doing for players. Players shouldn't be getting abuse for what they do on the pitch. When it goes personal, that's way too far. It's fine to criticise a player's performance, but the minute it gets personal, it's just not on, is it? And that's not what Evertonians are normally like and what they shouldn't be like. No, exactly. I mean, they're, they're still human beings at the end of the day. They're, they're not asking for any of these things to happen. I mean, we've all seen it creep in, not necessarily creep in, kind of come full on in, in, in the past few years because of the consistent relegation battles. It then scapegoats have been picked out and we won't go into it too much because honestly, Connor really sums it up perfectly. So I will just, I'll strongly direct you all uh, towards that video. And if we get back to the game, then Calvert-Lewin goes off, Dan Juma comes on. He's obviously not fully fit yet. I'm hoping he must be fully fit for the next match. Uh, I know he picked up that that injury just before the end of pre-season and, and didn't start against Fulham, didn't start this week. Probably ended up being thrown on faster than they would have expected him to. And second half just kind of peters out. You pick, we pick up a couple of yellow cards as the game just refused to stop. Uh, I don't know how many added minutes there were in the end. I think it was nine called or 12 played. It was something ridiculous like that. And you go in 2-0 down, we're pretty much already resigned to the game probably being over, but you want to see a bit more from the side coming out in the second half, You may, and you look to the manager as well, if you look to the manager to say, well, obviously that wasn't good enough, we can all see that there are issues, and to be fair to him, he made a change, he did say uh, just after the match that if he could have taken all the players off at half-time, he, he would have done, he only took off one, he takes off uh, Garner Gay, brings on Lewis Dobbin, and, and tries to change the shape of the game, but it, it goes down to the club's terrible recruitment. That This is a lad who, he was on loan at what, Derby last season. He didn't particularly stand out, of course. I mean, I'm sure it helped his development, but no one really saw him and expected him to be ready for Premier League football. And now here he is being thrown on at half-time to just kind of try and rescue a performance. Yeah, I was really pleased with Lewis Dobbins' performance when he came on, purely for the fact that he was bright, he was positive, he tried to take players on. It's exactly what you want from a young player and... Yes, he probably does need another year in the championship and it might be a bit unfair to pin all of our hopes on him now. And hopefully by the end of the window, we won't need him. We won't rely on him quite as much now because for me, I'm looking at Saturday and thinking I'd probably start him at this point. But him and Dan Juma, when they came on, they offered us something a little bit more and they were the two key positives from the game. Dan Juma, yeah, not fully fit yet, but 
it's just the impetus he gives you because he tries to make things happen and as Lewis Dobbin did as well. So for me, I want to see them both in the team on Saturday because they came on and they made the the closest thing to a difference that they could have made because there wasn't really much change in the outcome of that game. No, I mean, we, as we, as I said, we were all resigned to the defeat. Just about what kind of shred of respect you can, you can rescue, but but no, five minutes into the second half, six minutes into the second half, then Leon Bailey capitalises on that on that terrible mistake. I mean, Ellis, just talk us through it. You did stay until the end of the game. You weren't someone that that left early, so you got a, a full view of all of it. But I mean, what was going on for that for that third goal? It was just it's just not good to watch. To be <laughs> honest, There's, I can't really put it into words because to see Luca Dean's throw go from him throwing it into it being in the back of the net within three seconds. There was a bit of an exodus from fans at that point. Not quite as many as everyone seems to have been making out. It wasn't the away end wasn't completely empty by the end of the game. I did stay till the end because I like to do that normally just to kind of I've traveled so far I may you, as well. You want to stay. stay for the fume is what you want to stay for. I know exactly what you like Alice. You <laughs> want to stay you, and boo at the end. <laughs> I don't boo actually no and I completely disagree with anyone who booed Dominic Calvert Lewin and yeah I certainly didn't boo at the end of the game but I did want to see what the reaction was from the fans and what the players kind of did at the end and yeah that second half it did just collapse after that third goal the fourth goal both of them were just individual mistakes and it wasn't good to see at all and I think one of the biggest things from the game is it's highlighted our need for a number six as well, which isn't something we've talked about quite a lot on our transfer targets and discussing what we need. But I think we've realised that we need a player who can sit in front of the defence and mop things up before it gets them. Because in this game, the clear thing to me was that they can play through our midfield like it wasn't even there. And I think we need that Gareth Barry, Fabian Delft type to sit in front of the defence and really like look after them and make sure that nothing's getting through or minimise what is going through. Because, yes, the, the defenders are low on confidence at the minute, but if the midfield is easy to get through, then they've got to deal with more and more chances. So they're more likely to make mistakes and concede goals. Yeah, I can't really fault any of that. I can't really. I don't think there's too much for, for me to build on from that. I mean, we, we we loosely touched on it before. I mean, the you can't have a throw and go all the way into your box in, in Premier League football, and just the, the way the ball fell to Leon Bailey, it just it just summarised the, the whole day really. And then if if that wasn't enough of a summary for you, then <laughs> Alex Awobi goes down injured. I know that people have kind of mixed opinions on Awobi, especially when he's out wide. He hasn't. He still hasn't signed a contract. I'm sure that's something that we will discuss later on in the season because it seemed almost last year at one point the contract almost seemed wrapped up, but he, he still hasn't signed that extension. So he goes off, and Neil Mope comes on, and then it, I mean at that point, Ellis, I, I I can't believe that he didn't leave. Really, I mean, uh, we, Neil Mope ends up coming on, and to be fair to him, to be fair to him, there was nothing left in the game. It's not like we can majorly criticize his performance, but. The front line has then effectively entirely changed shape. We've still got James Garner out on the right at times we did in the first half. And it's just such a mismatch side, really. And when when Wobie's coming off and Neil Mope, it just highlights that the just complete lack of strength that we have in the squad. Yeah, you talk about Iwobi and also James Garner, two players who are on our wing who aren't wingers. And it's frustrating for them and it's frustrating for us to see that because... Of course, it's because we've got so many injuries on the wings and we haven't yet brought in the replacements. And of course, Jack Harrison's injured, Dwight McNeil's injured, Dan Juma's just coming back now. James Garner, I feel awfully sorry for because he's a midfielder and 
since he's come to the club, really, he's been dropped in at different positions, right back, right wing. He did really well at right back, to be fair to him, and he ended up playing there for England because of it. But as a young player, you want them to settle into a position and not get ruined by becoming the versatile utility player that he seems to be becoming. And he's not a right winger, and that needs to change soon Soon enough. He can't be playing there anymore because it just doesn't help him. And as for Awobi, we know that he's not a winger now. We've seen that for long enough, and hopefully when we get the right options in and when players come back from injury, we can see him play centrally because that's where he thrives, really. Yeah. Not sure if you agree with that, but... Yeah, no, Awobi's clearly not a winger. We saw that when he came in. He could, you could see it at Arsenal as well. He, he just doesn't suit being out wide. And when he was central, I mean, that the early season under under Lampard last year, Awobi centrally, he, he looked absolutely fantastic. He did tail off for the rest of the year. The underlying stats still suggest he's one of our most creative players. And one of the one of the topics of debate that's been going around this week, of course, which is relevant to the wing, is Damari Gray. He's still at the club. You wouldn't, you wouldn't pick, you wouldn't imagine it. I mean, I think Dice said that he wasn't fit. I'm not surprised that he wasn't fit. He didn't take part in preseason. Uh, Jack Harrison's taken this squad number, despite the fact he's still injured. And there were rumours earlier on about Damari Gray leaving the club. That faded away. It's then come back with a with a Saudi club allegedly being in for him. But the club's line seems to be that he's he's not allowed to be sold until we find a replacement for him, which I find kind of utterly bizarre, really, because he's not involved in the squad at all at the, at the moment anyway. He's not being used. It seems that his heart's been set. I think likelihood is he just he chose not to involve himself in pre-season. He probably thought a move would be wrapped up a, a lot earlier. He's not ready to to play football now. And where, where do you stand on, on Damari Gray Ellis? Because we've got to get him out the door. It seems like the club were almost pinning their hopes on him, bringing him bringing in, sorry, uh, much-needed transfer funds. And he's now just kind of stuck at the club. We can't sell him until we find a replacement, but also we can't use him. It's a very difficult situation now, isn't it? Because we thought he was going to go to a Premier League club and that seemed to be where his heart was set on Fulham or Crystal Palace. And now there's been a few changes at those clubs as well with Michael Elise now signing a new deal for Crystal Palace. That means, do they really need Damari Gray now? Potentially not. Fulham... That's an interesting one because they were set to sign Callum Hudson-Odoi, which now seems like it's dead in the water. So I hope Fulham come back in for him because from what I'm hearing, I don't think Damari Gray really wants to go to Saudi. I think people have said that he's got young children and it wouldn't really make sense for him to make that move, even if it was for a year. So it could get to the point where he doesn't actually have a club that he wants to go to, even if a fee is agreed. So at that point, how do you reintegrate him back into the squad? For me, I would have just kept him training as normal because I feel like he could have offered us something useful at the weekend. He could also offer us something this weekend, but it doesn't help either the buying club or the selling club if he's not playing because he's now got no match fitness. He's going to need a few weeks to settle in at the new club and also get fit to play. So it isn't ideal for anybody, him just not playing and not training, is it? No, and he's, he's just kind of stuck in no man's land. And and as you said, he's not really a particularly attractive prospect to any club now. The season started and if they do sign him now for whatever fee we, we may demand, he's not going to be up to sharpness for for a few weeks now. And if, club need, if clubs need kind of that, that instant impact, if they need a replacement for an injury, I mean, players are dropping like flies with, with ACL injuries seemingly at the moment that just kind of seems to be stuck now. I think his evident career is over. I think it's unlikely that he will be reintegrated, but 
we knew we needed a winger coming into the season, and but we that's before that we knew that, that Damari Gray was was probably leaving. So that leaves us in a position where we need two wingers. Of course, Jack Harrison's come in. We can't turn this into the Wilfred Nonto podcast because I can't talk about him anymore. Very quickly, it seems that that apparently a twenty five million bid may have been rejected. We don't know that for certain. Now Leeds seemingly want thirty million. It's getting to the point now with with Nonto that it's just getting a bit ridiculous. It might be one that well, it definitely will be one that will go all the way down to the wire. Who knows if we will pull that off? But we won't get into that too much. But before we head off for a for a quick mid podcast break, we may as well address the the final goal there. I mean, we had a just after the the hour mark, I think it was Emery makes a. A raft of changes. One of them, however, comes a bit later in the match. It's, it is John Duran uh, for Ollie Watkins. Watkins, who was relatively quiet. I think he picked up an assist, but I mean, I was probably expecting a bit more from him. I think Musa Diaby was a far more effective player. I mean, I was absolutely terrified every time uh, he got onto the ball. But Duran comes on, as I said, probably just to stretch his legs. He's still a young player. Young launches the ball back to Michael Keane. He just doesn't really bother. It ends up right in the path of Duran. And Duran takes a ridiculously heavy touch. I mean, it's ridiculous <laughs> that he's been allowed to take that touch. Then just uh, slots it past Pickford. 4-0. Game was already over by that point. It's just it, rubbing salt in the wounds. Yeah, it did. It, it was, it's just devastating at that point. To see it go to four as well. Four looks so much worse. And we've just given this lad his... His goal within his first, what, two or three appearances. He's come on. He's got his his dream start to his Aston Villa career now. And I wouldn't be surprised if he never scores again for them because that's just the way it goes, isn't it? No, it was nailed on. When he was coming on as a sub, I was like, there's no way this lad isn't scoring. We all know how this script goes. We've seen it a million times before. Yeah, so he, he ends up scoring. There's nothing too much more to say on that. We don't want to go in the mistake too much. There before the end of the match, Patsa picks up together and Tyler Onyango just comes on for a, a little 60-second cameo on loan at Forest Green last year. Just absolutely no depth in the squad. We're relying on these youth players for, for minutes that simply, they're either not ready, they're not up to it. They, they, we're not helping their, um, their development by any means, just kind of throw them on like this and not allow them to go out on loan because, because the squad is so thin, but... I think that will wrap us up nicely for our Aston Villa analysis. I don't really want to keep talking about that any longer than I have to. Uh, so we'll head off for a short break. And when we get back, we will dive more into Che Adams, who maybe that move is close. We'll have to see how that goes. And we will look ahead to Wolves on Saturday. Hello and welcome back to the second half of the Topic Blues podcast. I'd like to say the positive half as, as we look ahead to Wolves. We talk about a, a bit of transfer news. One bit of transfer news that has just broken while we have been recording uh, it comes from Phil Hay at The Athletic. If you don't know who he is, he is their Leeds correspondent. And he said that uh, that Nonto is, has returned to uh, Leeds training now. He's available for the next match. Are they seemingly dead in the water now? Seems to be, yeah, unless he's just trying to sharpen up, ready to join Everton perhaps. But that's me trying to think of a positive and it's time to move on now, isn't it? There's not long left in the window. We need to look at other targets. Absolutely, I think it's it's got to the point now where they they were always going to demand too much money. It it was it's embarrassing for them if a player manages to force his way out the club. It doesn't really set a good precedent for the rest of the squad. If they let him do it, then who else can do it? They were always going to demand a, a ridiculously high fee for him. They, they were very excited about him, and I think the whole the, the way that it all carried on with him going on strike and handing in a transfer request probably just made them more unlikely to sell him. But so it seems like they've they've held strong. Looks like Nonto might not be on his way. He might be. As I said, we will see at the end of the transfer window, but currently 
he has returned to uh, full-time training uh, at Leeds and maybe isn't on his way, but someone who might be on his way is Che Adams of, of Southampton. It's a, it's a rumour that's kind of been chugging along for quite a while now. Uh, it, seemingly a £12 million bid was rejected by Southampton and then what a matter of minutes after the full-time whistle against Villa, uh, we it seemed like we sent another bid worth around fifteen million. I, I, it seems like the there's a vibe that this one is going to get done. That that fifteen million might look enough money for him. But you've just spoken to a Southampton fan, so I'll let you take the reins on this one. Are you excited for Che Adams? Yes, I have just spoken to a Southampton <laughs> fan, and I'd like to say that that has made me feel really optimistic about the signing, but it hasn't. He's given me the cold hard truth to be honest and he did say that he seems to have found his level in the championship so do check that video out when it comes out because some of it's damning but there are some positive elements too like it's not it's not all horrific but the main thing is he says he doesn't score goals and that's the biggest thing he says one-on-ones he just doesn't put it away and he misses an awful lot of chances so this all seems a bit too familiar but it seems like we haven't got many other options at the minute and 15 million seems like a lot with a player that's got one year to go, but I suppose we've just got to trust Thelwell, haven't we? Yeah, yeah the club clear, clearly want another striker. Chimiti came in again, didn't feature in the squad. We'll have to see how that one progresses because it confuses me how he's not even second in the squad. I get he's not going to be up and running for, for Premier League minutes yet, but not even Daesh hasn't even given himself the option there. So the, the club were always going to look for a more experienced striker. Hopefully to go alongside Calvert Lewin, going off Che Adams' profile, we don't necessarily want to see him start up front. I mean, in the last year, two point seven four aerial duels won per ninety. You can you can see the kind of player that that would really help Calvert Lewin and, and help the rest of the the side. But in terms of his goals, he, we know he's not a goal scorer. And people far too quickly make in the the comparison with Neil Mopé. They're very different players. They're completely different players. But people are looking at the the goal scoring stats and. When you compare them, you can see why people are frustrated because clearly we need goals. We haven't scored a goal yet, in case anyone wasn't aware. Uh, d- despite our really solid XG against Fulham, it it really it petered away against Fulham. I mean, I think it was less than one, wasn't it? It was 0.6 or 7, something like that. And he's he's, in a, he's a presence up front. He's definitely going to help winning on balls. And th- th- obviously that's what Daesh wants in his team. We saw him deploy that system at, 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 uh, at Burnley, sorry. But it's not it's it's not a sign in the get you out of your seat by any means. It seems like the club have wanted him for years and years. It feels like every summer, maybe since he left Birmingham, maybe before that, that, that we were interested in him. It, it, clearly now the, the club have decided it's the time to, to pull the trigger. But as I said, 15 million does seem like a lot of money for someone who he's not going to come in and, and score many. Hopefully he can stay fit throughout the season. That's something we desperately need. We need bodies at the end of the day. And if he can come in and, and do a job up front and be an aerial presence and kind of trouble defenders, it's definitely going to help the rest of the team. We we discussed this with Calvert-Lewin that even if he's in and, and not scoring goals, his, his presence and the, and the effect he has on the rest of the side is still so important to the way we play. And if we can have a vaguely similar play to that, not similar in height, I mean, Che Adams isn't tall by any means. I didn't realise as well that he's he's 27. I, I, I thought he was just still a bit younger than that. But yeah, 27-year-old, he's never really set the Premier League alight. As he said, that Southampton fan said that He's found his level in the championship, which is always a terrifying thing to to hear about someone. Um, he has scored uh, three goals so far this season. So, yeah, he's clearly found his, his shooting boots, whether he can wear them in the Premier League. I'm, I'm not so certain. But overall, we know it's going to be underwhelming. But you kind of, as you said, you've, we've just got to, got to trust the, the scouting department on this one. 
Yeah, and it's not all doom and gloom. He said that he'd be a fantastic foil for another striker. They said that he said that if they had Danny Ings last year, he would have worked so well with him. And I do remember that when they beat us last year, Che Adams played a key part in James Ward Prowse's goal. So it seems like his link up play and bringing others into the game is good. He said that the player's got a great first touch and he does link play. And the main thing for me is that he'll help us to retain that structure when Dominic Calvert-Lewin isn't fit to ease the pressure on Calvert-Lewin and also mean that we can play the same way regardless of who's playing up front. If your three strikers then are all aerial threats, I know Che Adams isn't that tall, but he's he's solid and he's he's really bulked up since he joined Southampton. But three strikers who are physical, then that means that you don't have to then deviate away from the way you want to play every single time you lose your main striker. Yeah, and it... What does this spell for Neil Mope? I mean, we know that we've known that the club were probably looking to try and sell him in the window. That never materialised. Maybe even trying to get him out on loan. But if you don't have the body, the bodies that back there behind him, then you can't exactly loan out players when the squad is as as thin as it is. But what what does this spell for Mope? Surely he's got to be wanting football. And if Che Adams comes in, Calvert Lewin manages to stay fit, and if they do integrate, should meet the into the team. Is this the end for, for Neil Mope at Everton, or is he just kind of going to languish around and, and earn his wage for the next few years? Like, seemingly, that's what happens with everyone at the club. I don't think the club will want to be paying four strikers on the books at one time. So I think that he would be the one <laughs> to be to fair. Go, I'm sure, they don't, they don't want to still be paying Andre Gomez, but sometimes yeah. things happen. True. And there has been interest, hasn't there? Selena Tarna did, did say they were interested during the summer and Hopefully that can be a fresh start for him because it seems like at this point it's probably best for club and player if he moves on. He hasn't really suited the style, which isn't all his fault. It's definitely not all his fault. And hopefully for him, he gets a move to Italy and he can start fresh because that's what's best for everyone really, isn't it? Yeah, as long as we bring Chad Adams in, and I'm not saying that I necessarily want to keep Mopé, but it's got to the point where we can't afford to get rid of him if we've got no one else there uh, to bridge that gap between Calvert-Lewin and Chimiti. And that's something that's been widely in the press that... We do want someone there who will bridge that gap when, when potentially Calvert-Lewin is, is injured. Uh, we'll have to see, well, first of all, how long it'll take him to come back from this this head injury, but also if he can stay fit for the rest of the season. But yeah, Che Adams, in terms of what, out of 10, you, you give it like a 6, 6.5. It's it's never really going to excite you. I mean, I'm not sure people are going to be having them, you know, as, as their phone background. I'm not sure <laughs> yeah, people are going to get that carried away. But it's one of those signings where, you do, you do just kind of trust the scout department, and he will, he will offer more than Neil Mopé. Physically, he will definitely offer more in terms of his link-up play, in terms of his impact on the rest of the team. He, he will offer more. So we'll have to see how that one develops. Of course, he hasn't signed yet. We're talking like he signed, but yeah. I don't know, fifteen million. It feels like Southampton will be daft to turn that down. Yeah, it seems, especially with one year left on his deal. And you say about the phone background, if he scores at Anfield, then he'll, I'll make him my phone background. <laughs> I want posters up of him on the on the wall if that happens. Uh, yeah, way more way more than a phone background. But I think that's probably all the Che Adams we can really talk about. I mean, until it's final, I'm sure we'll discuss it again if it does become final, and I'm sure we'll hopefully discuss other players that that, that come in. I think it seems unlikely that a club won't try for more signings after Che Adams. We we know that we still need you know surprisingly. No mention of a of a centre half really, apart from those loose Harry Maguire links ages ago. But after he turned on that move to West Ham, he's seemingly just staying at United, despite the fact that I think we desperately need a centre half. I think if Patterson kind of continues in the way that he has done, and and Coleman doesn't come back, all of a sudden we're going to need a right back. 
you're saying now that, that we need a six to sit and mop up in front of the defence. Unfortunately, I don't think the budget stretches that far for, for priorities that are third or fourth down the list, annoyingly, at, at the moment. And the club clearly still want another winger. If Nanto is not going to be the one, will it be Suleimana from also from Southampton, of course, where we try and do some sort of double deal? That seems has gone a bit quiet as well. We haven't seen too much of that over the last week or so, but there's still time left in the transfer window. There's very little time left in the window, but there's still time to do business. Loan deals can be wrapped up a lot faster than, of course, permanent transfers. And we've seen the club do last-minute loan business in the past, so we'll have to see how it develops. But we've got Wolves on Saturday. We've got something that is definitely happening that we can definitely talk about. And Wolves, a team that everyone's kind of almost written off this season. I think everyone, a lot of people have got them in their kind of their, their relegation predictions. We know the chaos that, that went down with Lopetegui leaving just before the start of the season. They showed some some good organisation there. They had the, the replacement ready to go straight away. Gary O'Neill came in, who probably didn't expect the Premier League job again so quickly. Of course, he had a good season at Bournemouth last year. They clearly decided he wasn't the, the long-term vision that they wanted. But he's already back in another Premier League club before the start of the season. Uh, they started off pretty strongly uh, against Manchester United. Of course, they didn't win the game. Should have had a penalty later on, but... Yeah, started off well there, picked up a 2.2 XG and then picked up a very similar XG uh, against Brighton, but ended up coming out out 4-1 losers on that occasion. So I think it's really hard to know what to make of Wolves. Of course, it's hard to know what to make of anyone, but their XG starts that they're they're still producing enough chances to win games. They probably got relatively unlucky against Manchester United. I don't think anyone really did think that United deserved to win that one. They got absolutely hammered by Brighton. I know the XG says slightly differently, but I mean, Brighton were incredible. Matoma was on top form, and when he covered up against uh, Brighton when they're on the day, it's seemingly impossible to play against them. So, as I said, pretty hard to kind of gauge what they're what they're going to be like. Yeah, they're only ahead of us because they've scored a goal. That's that's the <laughs> only, simply the only reason why they're nineteenth and we're twentieth. So. It's going to be interesting because both teams just seemingly can't put the ball in the net. They had a similar first game to us in the sense that they were the better team, created chances and just didn't put it away. And then they ended up getting beat. And then Brighton are just a fantastic team. We know that Kairou Matoma, that goal, that's something else. (laughs) And yeah, Brighton are a team that you're going to have to sometimes take batterings from because they're just fantastic at what they do and they deserve a lot of credit for it. But as for Wolves... Mateus Cunha looked good against Manchester United and he's got a big season ahead of him now. He's got to really prove that he's worth that £40 million price tag because I think if he was available in summer for £40 million, they wouldn't have bought him. But because it was an obligation on the loan, then they had to in the end. And it seems like there's a lot of disarray at the club at the minute with the manager leaving and then they obviously brought Gary O'Neill in, but they had to sell some big players in Neves and Collins and they were still sell to buy after that, which... It's, it hints at a bit of a financial difficulty there for them. And Gary O'Neill did a good job at Bournemouth. Of course, he's still quite young as a manager and he's still learning his trade, so to speak. But he, he did well enough at Bournemouth for him to get this job. And he seems to set up teams in an organised fashion and he gets them pressing and working really hard. And they have got some talent, haven't they? You know, Pedro Neto is a very good player. Mateus Cunha... They've got some attacking talent, but what they haven't got is Mateus Nunes, who got sent off last week. So that's a key hole in their midfield. And hopefully our midfield, if they're a bit more organised this week, could overpower them. 
Yeah, I think it's quite easy to forget how good the Wolves team actually is. And, and of course, they're a bit of a distance away from that European the, the team that what they got to the semi-finals, the Europa League quarterfinals. I can't quite remember what it was now. Uh, but, you know, since then, Jot has left. Now Ruben Neves has left. And as he said, I mean, seeming, seemingly everyone else apart from the top six are always in a financial crisis at the moment. And their, their, their owner and their chairman made that statement saying that Look, we we kind of these are the restrictions that we have to work within. Yeah, it seems like a very similar situation to what we have been in the past couple of years. See that we're kind of trying to come out at the end of that now, and they're seemingly where we were. That could, we know the knock-on effect that can have on uh, on the rest of the club, and of course that massive bonus that Mateus Nunez uh, did did pick up that red card. I mean, maybe didn't exactly light up the league that people maybe expected him to last year. I think that well, we were linked with them for a very long time, weren't we? We didn't end up getting them, and there were there were links to top six clubs, apparently even before he'd arrived at Wolves, that uh, they were looking at him. But still, as he said, he's still a massive hole. Uh, hopefully, they don't really have the uh, uh, the, the the personnel to to replace uh, in such short notice. Because when you look at the side and you look at the attacking the attacking ability of some of the players. You mentioned Cunha there, who, as you said, the weight of the world is on his shoulders right now at the Molyneux. I mean, he is effectively one of the main reasons they haven't spent really anything um, in, in yep. this window because they, they set themselves up with that ridiculous obligation and he wasn't fantastic last season. We'll have to see how he gets on this year. But Pedro Neto was one that's also just fallen off. I mean, he was a ridiculously exciting player and it's been a while since he's really kind of recaptured that that, that top form of his. And... They do still have talented players. I'm so I'm sure Huang He Chan fancies a goal against us. Uh, and, and I know he one doesn't really seem to score against anyone else, but but doesn't mind one against us. And you look at the rest of them. I mean, Pablo Sarabia, he was a fantastic player, playing for PSG for for a few years, and he ended up at Wolves. So yeah, he gets on. But they have a lot a lot of talent in there. So it's it's hard to write them off, which I know a lot of people have. I didn't have them in my relegation predictions. I can't remember if you did or not. Did you say that? Yeah, you did say they were going down. So by that logic, Ellis, you must think we're going to win on Saturday. Well, I think we have to, but whether (laughs) we will is another story. It's It's a huge game, isn't it? And you don't often get huge games in August, but it's probably as big as you could really get in August because it's a match that you don't get to play again. You don't get to play Wolves at home again for the rest of the season. And it's a game that if we don't win, we will look back on regardless if we do end up in trouble this season. And it's one of them that we just need to come out with three points because getting the first win is so important in a season. And the longer it drags on, the more the pressure builds. And when there's more pressure on players, it's even harder to get that win. I think with this game, it's a case of, whoever scores first will win because both teams struggle to score. So once one of them does, I think that's the team that will end up winning the game. If we even see a goal, I hope we do. And I hope it's ours, but there just needs to be, there just needs to be a a change in the Everton team in the sense that they need to put the ball in the net. And it's as simple as that. And that is putting it totally bluntly, but that's what's got to happen. And I hope that because we've got the home crowd and we've got hopefully a, a good atmosphere at Goodison because I'm sure we'll we'll be behind all the players and that. Hopefully, we can just be the difference and maybe Arnaud Danjuma could be the difference. He's the one that I'm pinning my hopes on for this game because hopefully he'll be fully fit by then and he showed enough for me to think that if anyone's going to be our match winner, it's going to be him and it's probably going to be the only goal in the game. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, Danjuma's probably someone I'm pinning my hopes on for the rest of the season, never mind just Saturday and we've got to see him fully fit now surely he's back up now he's playing over half of football uh, last week he he didn't get many minutes against Fulham but he looked bright when he came on and 
we're going to probably get need changes. I do not want to see Mope starting up front for the life of me. I mean, <laughs> if, it, if it gets around to Saturday again and Dan Juma's on the bench and Mope started, it just it already just puts a bad taste in everybody's mouth. No one's particularly confident going into it. But as he said, I'm sure everyone will be up for it. We're not, despite what many like to say, we're not in a crisis yet. This isn't a six-pointer yet. I know what they, I know what people mean and that if we are, as he said, if we are in trouble come the end of the season and we're dropping points to the teams that, that, that will be around us, potentially Fulham, almost definitely Wolves. You, you, you do look back with a lot of regret if you, if you don't manage to take the points and you do not. I said this last week, you do not want to go into a season losing your first two games because there's a lot of pressure. It's something you absolutely do not want to do is go into a season and losing your first three games, uh, especially with the fix of this that we've had. I mean, we knew Villa would be difficult. There was probably a chance of nicking a point and definitely had more confidence off the back of their battering at Newcastle, even though they did play well. Fulham at home was a game that we should have won. Wolves at home is a game that we what we just absolutely have to win. Yeah, it is. And I don't want anything like the last time we played Wolves at home last season. That was, it still scarred me that one. So please just not that again. You know, it, we were level, weren't we, in the dying embers of the game and we threw a ball forward and they did us on the counter-attack. So thankfully Adama Traore isn't there to do that to us again. And then Aitnori put it away, didn't he? But they haven't got Adama Traore this time, which is a plus to start with. They've got someone else, though, haven't they? They've got the young striker who's returned from, I think it was Portugal, was it, on loan? Fabio Silva. That's it. That's yeah. It. Uh, yeah. I mean, he hasn't exactly lived up to his massive transfer fee. They brought him in for 50 million or something ridiculous, didn't they? And, and yeah, he's, they someone, he's still a very exciting player. He hasn't fully adapted to, to Premier League football, but they've, they do have, they've got so much talent. They've got so much attacking talent. It does make you nervous, especially if Michael Keane is going to start again. And I mean, I don't know how long it's going to take. I mean, the club are trying to convince Jared Branthwaite to sign a new contract, but. If you're in his position, why are you signing a new contract when you look at the defensive shambles and you apparently can't even get into that defence? Yeah, if I was Jared Bramfoyt now, I'd be like banging on the door trying to get in that team because I think it'd give everyone a lift if we saw he was starting because, you know, why why would you sign a contract if you're not getting in at this point? Like, when is he going to get in the team if he doesn't come in on Saturday? You know, maybe in the cup games perhaps, but he'd probably have come back to Everton this summer thinking he wants to play at least start 25 games this season. and Hopefully he gets to do that, but I'd start by putting him in the team on Saturday. Just freshen things up, make some changes. For me, I'd be going Ashley Young at right back, Mikhalenko back in at left back, and Bramfway partnering James Tarkovsky. Just freshen things up and do something different because we need we need that change, don't we? Because, of course, that team that played against Aston Villa, there's got to be changes made to it, and there has to be because of the injuries we got as well. Yeah, and I'm sure they will. I'm sure Dyche will be entirely happy starting the game exactly how they start there. I am nervous and I'm always kind of resigned to the fact that Mope will be starting. I think he will. I think we'll probably see Dan Juma on the wing if he's fit. And if Awobi's also injured, we don't know the extent of his injury yet. We're just looking so weak on on basically everywhere all over the team. But other than that, before we head for our final break, Ellis, do you want to go to a score prediction? I'll go with 1-0 based off the back of what I've, what I've just said. Yeah, I think it, there'll be one goal in the game, and whoever gets it, that's there's not going to be any more after that. What about yeah, you? I, I'd like a one. I'd take a one nil. I'm going to go for a nil nil. I think both teams are just really struggling to score. I know they are miles ahead of us in the goal scoring charts currently, but I think both teams are really really struggling to score. And I think it might just it'll be too much pressure on both the teams. Both will will really want to win. Neither side wants to go into the to the season with three losses on the bounce, but. 
from our perspective, it's, it's just an essential game. Wolves at home is absolutely a game that you've got to be winning. But saying that, I'm going to go for a nil-nil draw prediction. That's not with my it's not with my heart. That's with my head. If, with my heart, I'm going to go for like a two-nil. Think if we get an early one and then kind of just put pressure on them and get one into the second half. But we will have to see. But we will now head for our second and final break, and we will be back. We'll be. We will be back, sorry, uh, with a quick roundup of everything else that's happened in the Premier League at the weekend. Now, welcome back to the, the final kind of roundup of the Premier League football that, that has just gone this weekend. This is an Everton podcast, of course, but it's always good to talk about everybody else, kind of seeing maybe who's kind of already having a, a worse season than we thought, who's maybe looking at a surprise inside and... We may as well start off a Friday, uh, Nottingham Forest, Sheffield United. I think if we talk about Everton Wolves being a six pointer, that's that's almost definitely one. Uh, Forest picked up that two one win. It was just a re- it was just a classic Friday night game. Really, it, it was it was quite scrappy at times. Both sides were going to want to win from that, especially Forest being being at home. That projects Forest uh, gives them the first win of the season. Leaves uh, Sheffield United kind of down the bottom of the table uh, with us. Uh, despite the fact that they they have scored a goal, they've also conceded less, so they are doing slightly better. But kind of just your initial reaction there. Forest picking up their first win of the season. Chef United still waiting for theirs. Yeah, you're right about that being a typical Friday night game. I've I'd never really thought of what a classic it's Friday night game Friday was. Night. We've not had them that many in the Premier League for a while. It's only been a thing for what five years maybe. Yeah. But yeah, from what I saw of it, the good thing for Nottingham Forest is the strikers scoring goals. Taiwo. Awani now has scored, I think, in his last six games, going from the back end of last season. He's a player that I'd love to have at Everton. He just he's a unit, isn't he? He holds the ball up and he gets goals. He's also rapid. And then Chris Wood getting a goal as well. But the reason these two both scored goals is because of Serge Aurier's crossing. Two fantastic crosses into the box. The delivery from him, people criticise Serge Aurier and I think they still remember him from what he was at Tottenham. But from what I've heard from Forest fans that I speak to, he's a really good player and he's done a great job for them. So Forest will be delighted to get started in front of the home fans and get that win on the board that so many of the teams down there are craving, including us. Yeah, I, when he's really he settled into the league now because there was so much pressure on him when he came in. Apart from Brendan Johnson, he was probably looked at as one of their main goal threats. And of course, Chris Wood then did come in as well. But I, when he was definitely part of that, that massive spending spree and looks like he's finally finding his feet in Premier League football. Then we move on to Saturday. Brentford doing what we should have done against Fulham. They put three past them. They don't really seem to be... Well, they're definitely missing Ivan Tony. I think it's too uh, too much to say that. But bagging three away from home. Fulham looked like they were there for the taking when, when we played them. It doesn't really... It doesn't really surprise me. I expected Brentford to win that one, but a, a fairly emphatic one, I think we could say. Yeah, and Fulham have now lost Alexander Mitrovic as well. So it'd be interesting to watch them in the next few weeks because could they just completely decline and end up really in trouble? I think they definitely could. Brentford showing no signs of drop-off with Ivan Tony being out. Adi and Buemo stepped up. Johan Wiss has stepped up. They just are a very functional team, very organised team. They all work hard and... When you take a player out of it, even if it's Ivan Tony, because they are so well set up, then they don't seem to be affected too much. And they've got the benefit of whatever points they get now. That's great that they're racking them up, but they know that the second half of the season should be better because they have Ivan Tony. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think that, as you said, I think functional is the best word to describe it. I'm sure that people were maybe expecting them to kind of sign maybe a top level striker when when Tony got suspended. They they didn't really. 
they've obviously looked at Umbuemo and, and, and Wissa to, to give that to them and and they are performing. You, you can't really argue with that. I think Brentford decide they're going to have a, another decent season. Probably won't, they're not going to exactly pull up thousands of trees, but I think they'll certainly do something that they won't be in a relegation battle like like some other teams will. I think they're, there's that kind of, there's that, isn't there? There's that, that part of the table, what, 12th to 20th, where it looks like anyone could get relegated at any minute and they're just not in it. Really, they're just, I think they're set for another decent uh, season in the Premier League. Elsewhere, it's one that we've already lightly touched on, so we won't go into it too much. Brighton, Pumpman, Wolves, uh, 4-1 away from home. Wolves created chances to convert them, but Brighton just at their, their clinical best when they get playing. It's, they are just a ridiculous side that, they, that take them to the uh, to the top of the table. Yeah, they're going to have another great season and we get to watch them in Europe this year, which is even more exciting. I hope they do well because they're just everything you'd want from a football club. They ran perfectly. They they can replace players like they didn't. They weren't even there. You know, they've moved on from Caicedo already and looking like they've uh, got a good deal for him. We conceded a penalty in his first game, but, you know, Brighton are just fantastic. And I'm surprised Matoma is still there, to be honest, but him and Estupinian, the two stars from that game. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Matoma will be off for 400 million in January. So we should just, or, or next summer, they always manage to demand these really high fees for these players. And and rightfully so. And it's allowing them to kind of implement this fantastic model that I think is the envy of everyone in the Premier League. I'm sure even the top six clubs with their, their vast budgets are just still envious of their structure. And I am, I'm definitely one of those people who just can't, can't, it seems relatively simple to run a club like that. I'm sure it's not. It's definitely a very complex process, but they trust in that process. They they had a few years in the Premier League where it didn't look so secure. But I mean, look at them now, top of the Premier League after two games, they're in Europe. Uh, simply can't argue. Uh, then later on, after the three o'clock kickoffs, Spurs host Manchester United. Oh, what to say about United, really? I think that they, they didn't start too badly. I think first off, they were quite decent. They're clearly desperately missing that striker. They they brought in Rasmus Hoyland, who seems to be injured for an indefinite amount of time. But they're trying to play Rashford there. Rashford's already publicly expressed he prefers playing off the left instead of centrally because it involves him more in the game. And that's the kind of style that he likes. And, you know, Spurs get that earlier goal and then just that, that Ben Davies goal at the end to wrap it all up just, just made me laugh, really. Yeah, it told us a lot about Manchester United and it also showed that perhaps Tottenham are probably going to be better than we thought they'd be. Manchester United is a bit of a worry now. Is the start of another crisis about to happen? Is Eric Ten Hag finally going to see some cracks in his Man United side? I think a lot of people base their predictions for Manchester United based on the fact that Ten Hag's now the manager, assuming that they're going to do better because of that. But the way I watched them there, they really didn't impress and they haven't. They didn't impress in the first game, but they got the win. But Tottenham, on the other hand, they look really exciting. I think it's going to be a roller coaster under Postecoglou. Not every game is going to be easy, cut and dried, clean sheets. I think there'll be ups and downs along the way, which you'll get when you're bringing in a new system. I saw with Pedro Porro and the likes of Emerson Royale and whoever they actually play. Uh, as the wingbacks, they've got to re- rely on being so much better on the ball. And on Monday Night Football last night, Gary Neville was going into it and the pressure situations that the likes of Porro get put in, where they're put on, on the half turn and have to deliver it forwards, they can get shut down so quickly. So there's going to be teething problems, but I've been really impressed with Tottenham. Do you think they'll do better than people expected? I think definitely. I think because people maybe thought that the Postecoglou kind of philosophy would take longer to bed in than it has because it's it's a major departure from what they've been playing under Conte, Mourinho. I mean, even briefly Espirito Santo. But I think that 
I think they are going to do better. This won't go on all season. I think they've, they've started pretty well. Getting that win against United is always going to help them. It's a, it's a really big scalp for the start of the season. And they're playing exciting football. I think they're going to be a really good team to watch. They've, they've had to suffer the departure of Harry Kane. We'll have to see if they sign a striker or a Charleston. Just doesn't look like he's quite fitting in. He's quite clicking, really. He's, he's seemingly really struggling. We'll have to see how he gets on uh, this season. But, yeah, that puts United kind of down near... Chelsea in that in that kind of region where uh, they they went to West Ham and they and they managed to lose three one they go down uh, pretty early one nil I think Trick Wimaker scores that fantastic goal really does really well inside the box but after that the game just kind of gets away from them. Yeah, I was very surprised to see that because I thought Chelsea were going to be much better this year and they've already had the first big defeat and. Fair play to West Ham. They've started the season unlike what many would have expected in the first home game. You know, they've been getting criticism for how they've not truly replaced uh, Declan Rice properly yet, as in they've not spent all of the money. Of course, they've brought in Edson Alvarez and now James Ward-Prowse, but they haven't quite spent all of the money yet. And people are thinking, are they going to spend it properly? James Ward-Prowse looks like an example of where they definitely have spent it properly. We know what he can do set-piece-wise, and it was his second corner of the game where he delivered that goal for the for an assist and his first assist in a West Ham shirt. And then he got an assist later on as well. So it's just instantly dropping that creative spark into their team. And he'd add a lot to any team, but he's a player that's going to really help them out this season, especially with how good they are on set pieces anyway. And that contributed to the victory against Chelsea, which I'm sure they're well pleased about considering it's a London derby. Yeah, I think it was an, ended up being a really good performance from West Ham. The atmosphere was there at the London Stadium, of course, the homecoming after their Conference League win last season. Looked like a really good atmosphere. And uh, yeah, James Ward-Prowse made that instant impact. And he makes those difference in, in in tight games where he can just produce a set piece, as he said, at that fantastic corner. Elsewhere, City beat Newcastle. There's really not much to talk about there. I don't really want to go into that one because it, they, they go a goal up. Newcastle just kind of don't really get out of their shell. They kind of don't really push the shape that much. The game kind of just peters out. Maybe City would have wanted a few more. It's kind of the game that you'd expect. Newcastle are a really good defensive side. and But City managed to pick up the three points. And then finally, last night, Monday, uh, Monday Night Football, Arsenal, despite going down to uh, 10 men, managed to see out a 1-0 win against Crystal Palace. Yeah, they did very well there. They brought on substitutes that saw out the game. Jorginho, Zinchenko. I was impressed with how they managed that because not every game in the Premier League is an easy ride and they got through it, which is a sign of champions. It is. Well, that's a, real, that's a very bold thing to say already. I, I do see what you mean, though. I think that it would have been quite easily to collapse there. Palace just have no shortage of, of attack and talent. Very similar to Wolves, really. It's just about putting it all together and... And under Roy, I think they're probably just going to have a solid season. They look, they look, they look fine. I think it's just one of them where they won't really be dragged into it. I think they'll have a relatively safe season. But it's a really big win for Arsenal because with the Premier League title race as it is these days, even if you drop points early on in the season, you already feel like you're giving that advantage to City that you might never see again. But that brings us to the end of the Top of Blues podcast for this week. Ellis, thank you very much uh, for joining me as always, and thank you all very much for listening. If you'd like more. Uh, check out all of our social media check out the rest of the channel we will be back next wednesday hopefully in a bit of a better mood uh, following a win against wolves so we will see you all then goodbye